Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Luke chapter 1. Got it? And when you've got that, uh, if you just stand to your feet with me. If you're new, you just need to know this. We won't up down the whole morning. Okay? We always stand when we read our primary text. And the reason we do it, it's a visible reminder to us that this, we're not just reading from some book. This is the Word of God. And God is speaking to a room full of people in Bloomington, Minnesota right now. And those folks who are online, God is speaking. So we just want to acknowledge that. This is Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to start in verse 26, if you would. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is for us today. You're speaking. You desperately want to speak. And so, Lord God, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts and minds that will understand and to receive it. Holy Spirit, we need you. We are desperate to hear from you, Holy Spirit. No human voice, but we want to hear from you, Holy Spirit. Would you speak? Would you teach us this morning in a way that only draws us closer to you? We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So let me just ask you a question. Do you know, can you think of those things in life, like those things in life that we just take for granted, right? They're like good things, they're good things, but we just kind of take them for granted. Let me, let me give you a couple uh, examples like this, like family, like the perfect family. And, and, and we just, we, 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 we kind of, we, we romanticize this idea. We romanticize family and this idea that, oh, it's wonderful. And, and this is how our children dress. And we sit down and we have, but then there's this. Like, sometimes it can be this. Like, sometimes that's the reality. And we've been romanticizing this amazing idea of family. And family is great, and children are a blessing. There's no question about it. But when we've had such high expectations, because we romanticize it, and then this is reality, like the difficulties of having a family, and sometimes that becomes very hard for us to accept. And so how do we deal with that? How do we cope with that? How do we, how do we wrestle in that moment? We've been romanticizing, romanticizing, and now the real difficulties. Here's another one for you. You know where I'm going with this. Puppies, yeah, do it, do it. Yeah. So we romanticize this idea of having a dog, of having a puppy, right? And we, we, we go back and forth on this all the time. Should we get a dog? And they're so cute, and, right? And we ran. But then you know this. One day you come home, and this is what you got. Yeah, and they have torn up your furniture. And what's hard is you romanticize this idea, and this idea is so awesome, but then when the difficulties come... How do we handle it? How do, how do we deal with that? Because we've had these romantic ideas about it. All right, let me give you one more. Christmas. Because sometimes we romanticize the ideas of Christmas. And, and part of that is because we go to children's plays, which are great. And we have greeting cards, which romanticize the ideas of Christmas. But, but that's not how it is for you. 
because for some of you, Christmas is a really difficult season, and maybe this is your first Christmas season without a loved one. You've lost a loved one in the last year, and this is going to be really hard for you. And maybe it's just the opposite. Maybe it's family that you actually know you have to be together with now at Christmas, and you don't get along so well, and there's always strife, and it's always difficult when you get along, when you get together with them. And maybe it's for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's just this season for you in life, and it's not necessarily even Christmas. But how do we deal with that, right? If, if Christmas is hard for you, if it's a difficult time, look, if you find Christmas very difficult, you're not alone. Because the original Christmas, the first Christmas, was actually very difficult. Now, we've come to romanticize it, but the original Christmas was very difficult. And if we miss the difficulties and we gloss over it and we continue to romanticize it, we miss a lot of the deeper meaning. And what I want us to see this morning is the difficulties of the original Christmas. I want us to see what could be a better way for us to handle difficulty. What do we do in difficulty? And I want us to see the Christmas option. What would be the Christmas option of Christmas? And so look in your text, if you would. This is Luke chapter 1. And the text said this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We're not talking about Mary here. Just earlier in this gospel, Luke had told us about Elizabeth. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, and she's been barren. She hasn't been able to have a child yet. And her, her husband is Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest at the temple, and they're not able to have children. All of a sudden, one day, Zechariah is, is working at the temple, and this angel appears to Zechariah. And he says, Zechariah, your wife's going to have a child. Now, men, get your pens out. You've got to write this stuff down, because this is for men. You need to write this down. This is a sharp, sharp dude. Zechariah, the angel, says, you're going to have a child. And he says, how could that be? I'm really old, and my wife is... She's well along in years. Write that stuff down, because this is, that's a brother that can think on his feet, right? Like, that was sharp. Zechariah, and, and he said, look, the, the angel is going to come upon her. Okay, so that's Elizabeth. And so now we're in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and it says, God sends an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee up north, to a virgin named Mary. Now we get Mary. But here's what's crucial to this story and to the difficulties of the story and what you need to understand She's a virgin, and that's really, really important to this story. Then the text goes on. It says, she was engaged to be married. Now, just stop. She's engaged to be married. Y you understand she's got to be excited. Like, she's giddy. She's getting, I'm getting married. She's all engaged. She, this is an exciting time. And, and we romanticize this idea. Oh, she's going to be married. And she's romanticizing the idea. Oh, I'm going to be married. And it's so exciting. And not only is she engaged to be married, but she's engaged to, to be married to a man named Joseph. Now, we don't know a lot about Joseph from the Scripture, but the Scriptures call him a righteous man. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of high character. And she's engaged to be married to him. Can you, like, the excitement just keeps ramping up. And then it even says this, that Joseph, whoop, back up one for me, that Joseph is a descendant of King David. Now, I, we probably missed this. In our culture, but to be from the Davidic line is a really big deal because everybody knew from the scriptures that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And so, if you were from the line of David, there is social privilege and advantage, there's religious privilege and advantage. Okay, stop. This is a young girl. She's engaged. She's not just engaged, she's engaged to Joseph, a righteous man of character. How exciting! And he's from the line of David. These are great days for her, great days for her, great days for her. Then the scripture says, Gabriel, the angel, appears to her and says, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now an angel pops out of nowhere 
and says that to you? And how do you think she's supposed to feel? Well, here's how she feels. She feels confused and disturbed. He says, Mary, it says Mary tried to think, what could the angel mean? What's the angel doing here? An angel just popped out of nowhere and says this to me. And the angel even confirms when he says, don't be afraid. The angel Gabriel knows that she's afraid. He says, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You're going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. Now, first glance, this is us sometimes thinking, well, that's awesome. Here's this young girl. She's going to get engaged. She's going to get married, and then they're going to have a baby. That's what we think. And then Gabriel goes on. He says, your son will be very great. He'll be called the son of the most high. Like you're starting to think, oh, this isn't, this isn't just any kid. The son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Now she's got to be thinking, wait a minute. My, my son's going to be the king. Maybe my son's going to be the king. And he will actually reign over Israel forever. Wait, what? And his kingdom will never end. And she's got to be having just a few thoughts. Now, remember, she's giddy. She's engaged. Not just anybody. Joseph, P.S., from the line of David, she was all so excited. And now she says this. But Mary asked, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. In other words, she's realizing, oh, this is before we get married. And here's what's really weird. you got to remember first century, I mean, especially in, in the Jewish culture, right? If she's pregnant... Before she's married. Now, she's engaged. She's engaged at the stage where if they were to break off their engagement, it actually takes an actual divorce. But she's pregnant now. And in Jewish law, that means you could be stoned. You could be stoned. And so she goes from this, and there's never any clue of this in the scripture. But in my head, the way I think of it, wouldn't it be natural for her to just all of a sudden go, how, right? He goes on and he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That, that's how you're going to conceive. The Holy Spirit. This will be conception by, by the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It means to envelop you. It means just to, to cover you over. This will be a thing of God. This will be a thing of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you're a virgin and you're still going to be conceiving because this is a thing that God is going to do. So the baby born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Now, again, for real, this can really happen? And then the angel puts a little stamp on it and the angel says this, for the word of God will never fail. In other words, girl, this has been prophesied. This has been written about in the scriptures for, for hundreds of years that this Messiah will come, that he will be born of a virgin. That's been prophesied. Now, the real question is, what's Mary's response? How is she supposed to feel? What does she think about this? And I think her response is right in line with what most of us would think. Her response is, no, take that back. I cannot be pregnant right now. I can't. I don't want to be pregnant right now. I won't. I won't be pregnant right now. And the virgin was greatly disappointed and threw a holy hissy fit. And hissy fit in the original Greek. Nah, we won't go there. This is from the living knucklehead translation. But isn't, isn't that how we think? Like, 
I think that would be the normal human response when you were on this high because I'm engaged and I'm excited about that and I'm going to get married and this guy's incredible and he's from the Davidic line and there's prestige to that. Now it's all over. It's all over because this is a major scandal. That would be my thinking. Like God, right now, God, this is, this is difficult. This is really hard. What, what am I supposed to do with this? Now watch her response. Mary actually says this, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. And may everything you've said about me come true. And then angel left her. What, what, what kind of response is that? It's really interesting. I am the Lord's servant means this. He's the creator. He's the all-powerful one. He's the one who calls all the shots. And I submit to that. This is a, this is a line of worship. She worships in her most difficult moment, in what could have been her most difficult moment. We don't see any of that from her, but, but we just think humanly. And, and she starts out with this. Now, she's going to continue to worship. And just listen to this. Listen to how she worships. She says this. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And he sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. She just instantly turns to worship. It's the, it's the oddest thing to me. And I don't know if we stop because we still romanticize this idea of Christmas that we don't stop and think about the real difficulties that were in the Christmas story. Right in the moment, what could have been tragic for her, a young girl like that knows that according to Jewish law, she, she could be stoned. And so I want to give you the big so what right, right now, and then we're going to flesh that out. But I want you to think of this this morning. The big so what is your difficulty is your opportunity to declare your worship. See, Mary turned what could have been a really difficult situation, and she turned it instantly into, into, into worship. She turned it into worship. Now, the question is, why? Why would we worship? Why, 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 would, why would I do that? Why would I turn this into worship? And I want you to understand the principle that worship in difficulty expresses trust in God. Worship in a really difficult time says, Okay, okay, God's in control. Worship in a really difficult season says, I don't like this, but I know that God knows what he's up to. That, that I don't like it, but I know that God cares. I know God sees me. I know, I know he deeply cares. And, and, and I want to say this without just rushing over this for just a second. Because those of you who have been in the church long enough, and some of you haven't been in church for a long time, and you're kind of turned off by church, it's reasons like this sometimes because we go, hey, buck up. Buck up, followers of Jesus, we just buck up. And you, things are tough for you, I don't really care, you just buck up. It's all about Jesus, just trust Jesus. And I don't think that's what the Bible says at all. And I don't think that's the message the church should give folks at all. Because sometimes difficulties are real. It's hard and it's very difficult. And, and so I want to talk just for a second. Look, it's okay to complain to God. It's okay to tell God how you really feel. It's okay to be crushed sometimes, and, right? There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, to lament. And so I want to talk just for a minute about lam lamenting. 
that lamenting has a few different elements to it, right? The first element is this, you just talk to God. In other words, don't talk to your friends, don't complain to your friends, don't, don't bemoan yourself, don't sit around to yourself. Don't sit. That's not lament. Just because you're sad, just because something's difficult for you, that's not really lament. Lament is talking to God about it. And then the second thing is, go ahead and complain. Uh, go home and read Psalm 13. Look what, look what David says when David's in a really difficult time in Psalm 13. Listen to his complaint. God, how long are you going to forget me? And how long will you look the other way, God? Look, how long do I have to struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? It's not inappropriate to complain to God. Can I just say that? I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm not trying to stir anybody's feathers. Sometimes the healthiest thing you can say spiritually is, God, this sucks. You can say that to the God of creation. There's a, there's a reverent way, but I'm just saying this whole idea that that doesn't bother me. I'm okay with it. That's of no value. It's not honest at all. So I would say this, talk to God, and it's okay to complain to God. We saw the psalmist in it. And then the next thing I would say is, ask. What is it you want? What are you asking for? We see the psalmist do this over and over and over. Asking God, God, deliver me from this. God, give me strength for this. God, give me courage. We're not saying that when there's difficulties and you just trust and you just go to worship and you act like it doesn't bother you when it really does bother you and you never get over it. Like, like that, that's not even honest. Right? And the last thing here is where we'll get to again. It's trust. It's trust. It's trust. Look again what David says. This is Psalm 13 once again. I trust you, God, in all the difficulty that David was having. And he had just complained. And he says this, but... But I trust in your unfailing love. I'll rejoice because you've rescued me. I'll sing to the Lord because he's good to me. It's, it's worship. It's worship. It's worship. So here's the truth. Worship expresses trust. We said that before. But you need to know this. Trust brings blessings. Now, now I just want you to, to hear this from the prophet Jeremiah. Who, Jeremiah had some really difficult times as a prophet and Jeremiah says this blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence he goes on and he says they're like trees planted along a riverbank you imagine that a tree like right there the riverbank with a water source and he says with the roots that reach deep into the water he says such trees are not bothered by the heat they're not, they're not bothered by that. Long months of drought, they don't care. What are they worried about? They don't care. They trust. He says, their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Right. People who trust. People who trust. People who trust. Look, I think there's a different option. I think just instead of us just getting caught up in it and complaining and griping when difficult times come, I think we can lament biblically. We can lament. We can go to God, we can have a conversation with God, we can complain to God, we can ask for what we need, and then we still trust, and then we still trust, because we said this, your difficulty is your opportunity to declare your worship. That's the Christmas option. The Christmas option then, what, what are you experiencing right now? And just go, it's tough. Like Christmas, just in general, is tough for me. This Christmas is tough. It's tough, because I lost a loved one. This, this will be my first year without them. It's tough, man. It's tough. It's a reminder. It's a reminder they're not going to be here with me this year. 
Or, or maybe there's just a broken relationship. Maybe, you're, maybe you've just gone through a divorce and this is going to be your first Christmas. And not only are you divorced, but guess what? Now your kids got to split houses and it's crushing you. God, w- w- what are you doing? God, because I'm, I'm aching down here. Do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you, do you have any clue what's going on? How long am I going to suffer like this? Right? Maybe Christmas is one of those for you. Maybe Christmas is just difficult for you because it's never lived up to the magic. And maybe it's not even about Christmas. Maybe it's just this season of life. I know folks that just got a diagnosis. They just got a diagnosis. Like, that's difficult. And for us to act like, no, 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 buck up, Christian. No, that's silliness. That's silliness. We go to worship. We go to worship. We go to worship. That's the Christmas option. We're honest with God. We take our complaints to God. And then in the end, we trust. Because trust is worship. It says, I trust. There's a a greater God, the all-powerful God, who's in control. 